Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Broadcasting Politics. I apologize. We're a little bit late. We had some technical difficulties, but we're on the air. We have an excellent program tonight. Program measles outbreak spreads all over the U.S. Um, my co-host should be on in a minute. 916, just hold off. We'll be with you in a couple of minutes. I'm going to bring my guest in, who is Dr. Robert Korn, and he's going to be, he's an expert on the, on measles outbreaks. He's a doctor, 34-year-old Army veteran, physician scientist, world traveler, poverty reduction expert, prevention specialist, and he should be, he should be coming in, he should be calling in, um, well, my co-host should be calling in, but let me call my guest right now and bring him on the line. So a lot of things happened this week. The State of the Union was fantastic. Um, a large percentage of people actually watched it more than the Super Bowl. That's pretty incredible. But um, it was really worthwhile. And I believe the majority of the people actually enjoyed it. So um, really, really interesting. We're getting in contact. This is Rob. Rob, how are you? Uh, I apologize for hey. the uh, little bit of technical difficulties, but we got the uh, system up and running. Welcome aboard. Zero problems. Yep. yep. Okay. So I was just briefly introducing my uh, introducing you, but I'll let you go ahead and do that. Okay, so I'm a physician, Army veteran. I'm board certified in preventive medicine, which basically is a residency that specializes in public health and prevention uh, for doctors. Um, I spent the last few years working uh, in the Army on chemical and biological weapons defense. And then since then, I've worked on uh, topics like Ebola, going to Africa several times, the plague, and recently um, taken an interest in this measles outbreak that's going on in Washington State, and I'm really trying to help uh, be part of the team in our world that brings preventable illnesses to history. Right, and when you when you were in, um, I think it was in what in uh, Mozambique or in Central Africa where Ebola started, or was it in Chad? What 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 were the countries? So, uh, Ebola originally comes from Congo. Um, Congo. Now, over the last over the last forty years, um, Ebola has spread all over Africa. It made it all the way. It, it was originally confined to the Central African rainforest, um, and we were pretty happy. Well, we, we we thought we could contain it, and then in 2014, it appeared suddenly all the way 2,000 miles away in Liberia, all the way on the coast on the Atlantic Ocean, and that was quite a shock because. We did not think it made it all the way over there. And for the last few years, we've been trying to figure out how. Of course, that was a very tragic event. It destroyed three countries, um, killed 11,000 people, and infected about 30,000. And um, so now we're basically seeing a world where these emerging diseases are becoming a bigger and bigger uh, concern for countries all over. Um, and, and there's like a new one every year. SARS 2003 cost the world $50 mm-hmm. billion dollars of GDP as it scared the heck out of basically all of East Asia, the avian, the, the swine flu of 2009, we were actually really lucky that the swine flu 
wasn't very deadly because it had probably infected over a billion people. Um, if it had been as deadly as some of the past swine flus, it could have been a real catastrophe. Um, and then we, we have other things. We got the Ebola. We had Zika a couple of years ago that was, um, you know, started causing severe brain uh, defects among children born in Brazil. And we, we, a lot of these new ones are coming every year. And now we've got this measles, which is coming back, which we should have eliminated that. We've had that vaccine since the 60s. Right. And, and, and I, I keep seeing a lot of these organizations going to Central Africa, Western Africa, with a lot of vaccinations. Why is that not working? All that I mean, a, a lot more people in in the African continent are have been vaccinated. Why are these deadly plagues of diseases still around in that continent? So it depends which disease you're talking about. Um, okay, for, you know, there are. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Let's 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 touch on uh, Ebola. I mean, I. I've read where Bill Gates and and a lot of these individuals have gone and there's been preventive, uh, more vaccinations. And and, and to me, to me, looking at it from the outside, I'm not a doctor. uh, I would believe that majority of the population now has been vaccinated and and, and we're still having this issue. So is vaccination really the solution in that region or is there something else? So every disease is different. Vaccination is the solution for many diseases. Uh, smallpox, mm-hmm. we eradicated smallpox from the world because of vaccination. Right. Measles, uh, polio is very, very close to elimination. Um, Bill Gates has, has been really a hero in terms of um, getting, we've eliminated polio now. We eliminated polio from India, which is really crazy if you think about it. Mm-hmm. India is a country of a billion people with very, a lot of very, very poor people who have really not access to very clean water. Of course, polio is spread from unclean water. And the fact that we were able to eliminate polio from India is, is almost miraculous to me. But it remains an issue in Nigeria, pa- Pakistan, and Afghanistan because of distrust against vaccines. So measles, we were pretty close. And then the anti-vaccination movement, uh, which is based on uh, total conspiracy theory and nothing else, has, has caused sure. that to fall backwards. And now we got this outbreak in in uh, Washington state, but Ebola is a different story. Ebola mm-hmm. um, has been, we've only known about Ebola. Ebola was terrifying when it first hit us in the seventies. Nobody had ever heard of Ebola before. And then in 1976, uh, this new disease starts causing people to bleed out of their eyes. And, mm-hmm. and you know, there's all this uh, um, uh, sensational reporting that it liquefies the liver and things like that. And, you know, it just, it eats you from the inside. That turned out to be a little bit, over-dramatized, but it does have a 90% mortality rate if untreated. And so right. we've, we've been doing a lot of research, but it's, it's really hard to, because we, we didn't even know where it came from, what animals hosted it. Finally, over the last 40 years, we have a pretty good idea that it, it's hosted in bats. And we do have a new vaccine, which is brand new. It was finally developed uh, in response to the, the disastrous 2014 West African outbreak. Um, but the problem is it's a very expensive vaccine. And we only have one Ebola outbreak per year. And so if you wanted to vaccinate every person in Africa, you'd have to vaccinate a billion people because that's how many people mm-hmm. live in Africa. Um, and, 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 you know, each, each outbreak is only maybe 500 or 1,000 cases, and it just wouldn't be okay. cost-effective. It would cost so much money. So we're not there. What we need to do in the case of Ebola is to stop 
destroying the environment because that brings us into closer and closer contact with more and more animals, which are all these viruses um, come from in the first place. And that's a real problem because Africa, the population is skyrocketing and the forests are being destroyed and the animals are going extinct. Fantastic. We have uh, we have a, a caller on the line, and we have our my co-host on the line now. Nine one six seven three five. You have a question for for Doctor uh, Doctor Corn. Hello. Do you have a question for Doctor Corn? Hello. Uh, yes. Do you have a question for Robert Corn? Yes. He mentioned something about uh, chemicals. I was at Fort McClellan, Alabama, and I've got uh, chemical toxic injuries from being there. Does he know anything about that? Uh, Potentially, yes. And? Well, so I would need a little bit more information. Um, I mean, what are you willing to tell me over the phone? Well, I... I have got cysts on both sides of my thyroid, and the Veterans Administration, where I go to, said I have to go in and uh, have biopsies off my cysts every year for the rest of my life to make sure that it doesn't turn into cancer. Also, on my last uh, MRI on my liver, they see lesions and cysts. I've had giant cysts cut off the back side of my back, and I keep having cysts pop out on my testicles. I asked my doctor about it, and he said, oh, you've got a vitamin B deficiency. I said, well, that's nonsense. I said well, to him, well, what about the white spots starting on both of my wrists going all the way up my arm to my shoulder? He just ignores me and doesn't answer me. So you tell me, have I been exposed to something, or is it just my great imagination? <laughs> so it's probably not your great imagination. Um, what I would say is it sounds like this – well, I'd say a number of things. First of all, it sounds like this particular doctor um, did not really do his job. And so, you know, there, there's a big variance of doctors. Some doctors will take a, a lot of time to explain things to patients, and other doctors will try to get you in and out as quickly as possible. So whenever a patient has a bad experience with a doctor, the doctor doesn't explain things well enough, I encourage them, go find another doctor who will do a better job of explaining things. I really try uh, to explain things to patients because these are really confusing, and sometimes with a 15-minute um, conversation, you can answer a lot of questions. So that's the first thing I would say is, is I would definitely um, find another doctor who can look at these cysts. Secondly, um, it's definitely possible that you were exposed to something. I'd have to, to see these to really know exactly what we're dealing with here. But the thyroid is a organ which is in the, uh, in the neck, which is very vulnerable to um, environmental toxins, especially radioactive toxins which you may or may not have been exposed to it in Alabama. And, uh, I mean, it's good that you don't have thyroid cancer. That's good. But if they see a benign cyst, uh, there is, of course, always a chance that that can become uh, malignant. And so, I, I mean, getting a biopsy every year seems a little bit excessive to me, but I don't want to give formal um, advice over the phone without, without having actually seen it. But I would encourage you to, to go find a doctor who can actually spend the time to look at these things and, and, and do the appropriate. They can do a biopsy of these different cysts that are appearing on different parts of your body, and they can get a better idea and explain to you what's going on. 
and um, whether or not it was whether or not it was an exposure or just you, you know you're getting sort of a weird um, genetic thing which is causing a lot of unusual growths. Maybe as you get a little bit older, that's another possibility. So, um, but these are things that doctors can answer. That's the kind of thing if I if I had you in my clinic for a couple of months with a good uh, healthcare system, I could I could help you with um, the VA. I agree has sometimes it's sometimes good, but sometimes it has a challenge of too many patients being overloaded. So I would just encourage you not to give up. You can get an answer to this. You just have to find the good doctors who will do it for you. The whole time Fantastic. I was there, my eyes ran like a faucet and my nose bled. The whole time I was there at Fort McClellan. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I don't, I don't actually know what that Fort McClellan, but I mean, that doesn't sound good. That sounds like a real environmental <laughs> toxin. And um, and and if you are exposed to large levels of toxins over time, uh, they can definitely cause damage and eventually benign growth and potentially malignant growth. So, uh, you know, the the VA definitely owes you an explanation. I can say that. Thank you very much, Doctor. I appreciate your candidness. Fantastic. All right, and um, Doctor Corn, I have my um, my co-host on the line. Sir, um, do you have a question for the doctor? Okay, he, he maybe has to step out. Can you hear so me? Can you hear me? Yes, we, yeah, can we you can hear, hear me? you. Uh, yes, yes. We can All right, hear. I got a question for the doctor. We call it the, it's the MMR vaccine that they're giving to the, the babies, and, and there was a set of triplets that got it, and an hour later they had autism. Is that true? No, that's not true. So I do want to take some time to explain how we know that's not true, because there is so much misinformation out there on, in the, on the Internet about the MMR vaccine. And, and I, I really want to, to, to take some time. You can go fact check this yeah. yourself. I have no financial interest in anything that we're saying. Okay. So, okay. Well, so let me ask you ago, one other question. Well, 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 and they put mercury in those sorry, shots. Please repeat Is there mercury that? in these vaccination shots vaccination shot to oh. these kids when, oh. they're, when they're little? Is there mercury in the shots that could cause yeah, autism? Let, let, let the doctor uh, answer. Yeah. Dr. I'm Paul, done. Yeah, I'm ahead. done. So there used to be a concern that there was a mercury preservative called thimerosal that may, or, that may have been uh, a risk to children. Then they removed that from the vac- from the MMR vaccine. So there's no longer mercury in the MMR vaccine. Um, and the rates of autism didn't change because, of course, the vaccines are not the cause of autism. And, again, I want to take a minute to explain how we know that. Because well, doctors often get on TV ahead. and just say it's not the cause. And they never, they never take the time to explain it. So – um, now, there, now, whether or not there's mercury in it, whether or not there's any any vaccines out there with mercury, I actually don't know off the top of my head. I don't want to say there are none, and then it turns out there are one, and I'm wrong about that. But, he, but um, you know, there, there's a lot of preservatives in a lot of different things, and, and you know, we, we live in that environment, and, and most of us are doing okay. Um, so let, let me tell what everyone is, the story of how we – Yeah, go, go ahead. Let's – what is – well, I want to say one thing, and I'm done. Um, yeah. Why are the kids coming down with autism? Then, what is what's causing it? Okay. And, what, and I'm done. So, so, per, that is a great question, and I want to, I'm going to answer that. So, give give me give me about four minutes to tell you yeah, how ahead. we know vaccines don't cause autism, and then yeah, and ahead. then how we know it does. Okay. So, when this theory was put forward 20 years ago, there was a doctor in England 
who's really one of the most convincing con men you'll ever meet. He, he published a, a series of 12 patients um, in which he claimed that kids got autism shortly after the MMR vaccine. And that would be really bad if it was true. And so the medical community took this claim very seriously, and they rigorously evaluated it with the Denmark study. So in Denmark, from 1991 to 1998, researchers looked at the charts of every kid born. That's 537,000 kids, 537,000 kids. And the reason Denmark was a great case study is because vaccination there was optional and um, they had almost perfect medical records. So 18% of kids were unvaccinated. And so they compared, this is a study published in the New England Journal of Medicine, the premier medical journal on earth uh, in 2002. And what they found was that the kids that never received the MMR vaccine had an 8% higher risk of autism than kids that did receive the MMR vaccine, although the difference between those two groups was not statistically significant. So again, kids that never got the vaccine were more likely to develop autism than kids that did. That alone disproves that there could possibly be a link between the two. Additionally, there are further studies that came out since then, and pediatricians now, if you ask them, they'll tell you they can detect signs of autism in some kids before they even get their first uh, MMR vaccine in the first year of life, things like social uh, dis disengagement and maybe delayed learning and things like that. So we're, we're pretty clear that vaccines do not cause autism. And, and then later it was found out that the original con man uh, had a financial interest. He was going to make a lot of money from suing the companies. Ten of his uh, 12 co-authors retracted their support of his original paper. He was found to cherry pick his findings. But again, what made me go dig into this is he's really one of the most convincing people you'll ever, you'll ever see on TV. And so uh, I, I understand why people uh, are inclined to believe him. Parents want answers. Autism is a life-changing event. All right, so mm -hmm. now where does autism come from? Okay, so the, right, the rate of autism has been going up in the last 20 years. And it's in, I think it's one in 68 children now are born with something on the so-called autism spectrum. So there's really severe autism where the child is severely developmentally disabled. They can't speak. Um, they, they really cannot engage with society very well. And then there's, then there's the mildest form, which is called Asperger's disease, which is just somebody who's just a little bit, seems a little bit off, but otherwise they can function pretty normally in society. And so where does this come from? So it, it's called the two-hit hypothesis. You have to be genetically predisposed to develop something, and then you have to have an environmental um, insult or an environmental uh, pollutant that that triggers your genetic predisposition. So cancer is a problem. How about power example lines? Of this. How about electrical power lines, sir? I won't uh, disturb you again. So uh, so hold on, I'll lines. get to that. Let, let me hear Let me okay, let finish let, this story. Yeah, not, so let, not, let, let, let Dr. finish. So probably not electrical power lines. I'll get to what what it is though. So for example, something like smoking, right? Smoking causes cancer, but not every smoker gets cancer because you have to have a genetic predisposition to cancer, and then you smoke, and the two things together cause cancer. Same thing with autism. You have to have a genetic predisposition to it, and then you need this second hit. So what's the second hit? So for the last 20 years, we've been doing studies on this, and it appears there are recent, a couple of recent publications out that suggest that the, the, the key risk is poor maternal health during pregnancy. In other words, while the child's brain is developing, if the mom has an, uh, is unhealthy, has certain inflammatory conditions, uh, specifically maternal obesity, maternal diabetes, and exposure to certain prescription drugs have all been linked to autism, which makes sense. While the child's brain is developing, you want it to be developing in a healthy environment. And these recent studies suggest that uh, these conditions and potentially some others, there's conflicting evidence over whether autoimmune diseases, whether maternal infections, certain 
certain infections during pregnancy can be the cause of autism. But the bottom line is it appears to be poor maternal health during pregnancy and not the vaccines. And the vaccines, again, I have no financial interest in them, um, but they're really a great thing for society. We eliminate disease. We save oh, yeah. taxpayer dollars, et cetera. How about well, GMO in the food? How about how would that enhance it? These people, now we've got all these kids coming out with autism and there's GMO in this food. Could that be the problem? So, so envir- there are, it, it is possible that certain environmental pollutants may also cause it. It's not just the three things I mentioned, because autism, just, like, just like cancer can be caused by a variety of external pollutants, same thing with autism. We don't exactly know. We know that mothers that live closer to a highway who might be inhaling lots of exhaust um, maybe, exactly. maybe have a higher risk of autism. Um, so, cook, so certainly Actually. having an unclean environment is bad. Now, as far as yeah. so, so foods, yeah, food has a lot of preservatives in it. I mean, that's probably not good in general. Whether it's linked to autism, I don't know. Um, but I would say on GMOs, people are really scared of GMOs. In my opinion, they shouldn't be. GMO just means they genetically modify uh, the food to make it more antibiotic resistant, which is a good thing. That's one of the reasons we're able to make so much food to feed our enormous population. So GMO, there's a lot of right. misinformation about. I don't have a problem with GMOs. Well, let, okay. me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me touch on the GMO, because in Argentina, uh, Monsanto, who specializes in GMOs, has caused a lot of damage health-wise to the Argentinian population. And there's, there's documentation that actually shows that GMO impacted a lot of folks in Argentina. I mean, uh, so... I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I, I look at the evidence. I look at the evidence. There, when, when Argentina did not have GMOs, a lot of these farmers and their, and their workers were not dying. Now the GMO, right. the GMO they're dying. So well, I, I would ask I you to be a little I, bit more specific. Well, I can send you reports on uh, actual I – have, I have friends in, in Argentina – uh, that I speak to on a consistent basis, and well, that's one of the one of the questions they asked me uh, to ask you in regards to. And I can send you the the detail information. It's been it hasn't been really publicized here in the U.S., but in Argentina they've taken a, a, a beating from GMO. So, so if I may, so what what you said there was. GMO has caused a lot of health problems. Like, I, you know, in my in my opinion, one has to be more specific than that. That in order to make a particular claim, like you'd have to say, well, this particular um, genetic modification in this particular food has caused this particular health problem. Now, is uh, is Monsanto? Does Monsanto and Dow and some of these companies do they have, you know, very um, good practices? Are they are they very honorable? No, I mean they put a lot of farmers into bankruptcy. They control. Um, they make yeah. a lot of money. They often have a big monopoly power. I'm not defending them. I'm not saying that they're good. And again, I have zero financial interest in them. Um, right. But I, I am unaware of how uh, a, a genetic modification to a crop in order to make it more higher yield or more mm-hmm. um, antibiotic resistant or, or disease resistant would necessarily cause a human uh, bad health outcome. Now, if you made corn more sweet and therefore less nutritious, that could certainly lead to um, greater rates of obesity. Like I could see that link, but I, again, but, but that, that's just because people are eating higher calories, 
right? And so, I, you know, th- there, there's a little bit of that which I, which I would buy into. But I would, I would just ask before we make claims that we, we're very specific yeah. about what we're claiming. I, I can get you that information. That's not that's not a problem. Um, but they they brought it up to me in one of my in one of the uh, texts that they um, I got from them, indicating that they wanted me to touch on the GMOs with you tonight. But uh, as we go further along uh, on this whole process of um, vaccination, I just got some information that in the state of Oregon, in the state of Washington. 40% of secondary schools have non-medical vaccination exemption. Oregon has a 7.5% of kindergartens that have vaccine except exemption. Oregon has the highest vaccine exemption rate. Are all these individuals not informed correctly? Uh, they're not. Yeah, they're not informed correctly. They've gotten a lot. There's, there's so much misinformation out there on the Internet about this particular topic. And parents are scared. Parents don't want um, autism to strike their family. And I get that. And uh, this some of these documentaries, you know, that you can you know, you can make a compelling documentary. You just if you lie in a couple places, you can be very convincing. It's the vaccines is not the only place where that's true and so so the politics have said okay well we'll just in order to you know not not have to fight this battle too hard we'll just give parents an exemption the problem is now you have a measles outbreak of a disease that really should have been eliminated a long time ago and cost our system a lot of money and by the way i recently while i was recent while i was researching this i discovered something else about measles which is pretty interesting if you get uh-huh. measles the actual illness um it actually suppresses your immune system for a couple years after the infection. So kids that get measles and recover are more vulnerable to other diseases than they would have been before they got measles or if they had been vaccinated because the, the immune reaction to measles is so severe, it actually suppresses your immune system a little bit or actually replaces your immune system is what it does. It makes your immune system focus way too much on measles and not focus on other things like chicken pox or strep throat or things like that. So measles, there's a reason measles has caused so much mortality back, um, back before we had these, these great technologies. And so, uh, I mean, I think, I think, Oregon and Washington state are going to have to reevaluate their policies because public schools are a public good and taxpayer money goes to them. And now you've got kids getting sick completely unnecessarily. So do you believe in in mandatory vaccination? So I do. Uh, I mean, I, I understand, you you know, every, eh, it's always, it's always tough to, uh, well, I mean, can't, can't go around and force somebody to, uh, to do something, but what you can do is say, you can't use a public, a public good funded by taxpayer dollars if you're not willing to, you know, do your part to protect it. And so this was actually right. adjudicated by the Supreme Court in 1905. Um, the Supreme Court, there was a guy in, in Massachusetts that didn't want to take the smallpox vaccine. And it went to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court found that um, it's called Jacobson versus Massachusetts. Anybody can look it up. The Supreme Court found that um, the, the state had a right to compel an individual to take the vaccine because there was a public interest. Okay, and I I know quite a few states like California, it's trying to push mandatory vaccination, and I believe certain certain other states are also looking at that. Politically, would that be wise for a lot of these politicians, especially a lot of these 
a lot of these exemptions are happening in very liberal states, in very liberal cities, like Portland, Oregon. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting, this, this question of debunking myths, right? So, you know, I have a podcast, and, and we talk about a lot of these challenges because there's a lot, there's so much, our, our world's really hard to comprehend right now. And there's, <laughs> like, what do we do to fix what do we do to fix democracy? What do we do? Is climate change real? How do we how do we make sense of the very complex environmental data? Was the recent cold freeze was it caused by climate change or is or is it totally nothing? You know, there's there's so much misinformation out there on so you know should we pull out of Syria or should we stay in Syria? There's so much misinformation out there on on so many different topics. And on my podcast, we really our philosophy it's called the Demo Crises Podcast, and our our right. philosophy is that we, we have to look at the evidence. Let's take a nonpartisan, non-biased look at the evidence. There is such a thing as discernible truth, and let's get to it. And, and, and in order to debunk myths, you know, people will often adhere to a false belief, especially if that false belief is easy to understand, unless they can replace it with a better belief. If you just walk in and tell somebody you're wrong or you're stupid, right, they're not going to respond to you. And if your government comes in and says, we know better than you and you should just listen to us, like that doesn't usually go particularly well. And so, and that's what we're learning. The vaccination really should be the easiest um, of all of these fights. The vaccination fight should be the easiest one because the evidence is so overwhelming that the, your kid not having a disease should be a pretty compelling reason to uh, to do something. And yet we're still not even being successful there. So I think it remains an open question what the best course of action is. We've chosen to basically let parents do whatever they want, and that's given the conspiracy theories legs as well. And so I, I don't think we really know what the right answer is, but I, I think that what the right answer is is to to assume that parents have good intentions. They want the best for their kids. They do deserve answers. It's the pediatrician's job to to has gone to medical school and residency to explain to them what all the data is, to go through it if the parent has extra questions, to show them the Denmark study, to show them how we know that this is not the cause of autism, and to show them the other studies about what is and help them be healthy during pregnancy if they really want to avoid autism, have mom be as stress-free during pregnancy as possible, and then um, to try to build a better society that way. Yeah, well, I, but I, I think, Dr. Horn, I believe that the, the reason a lot of folks, a lot of parents, including myself, have had have a distrust for what is said on the, in, in the media, what after we review and we hear cases of companies and pharmaceutical companies paying their doctors to push prescription drugs so they can have their trips, you know, resorts and, and vacations. <laughs> you start getting that, This I'm not saying you, but that tends to alarm a lot of people. They're, just like, you know, the media benefits, because if you notice, a lot of the products that get uh, uh, promoted on, uh, on mainstream media are paid by pharmaceutical companies. So there's, I think there, there's a distrust that has been created by uh, these industries and also the media and politicians who benefit from, from the, the campaign funding that comes along with passing bills that basically benefit the medical and the pharmaceutical industry. So there is a distrust there. I think that's a great point, and I, com I completely agree with you. And I think that that probably has led to, that's probably given the anti-vaccination movement some legs. I mean, my prof yeah, 
pharmaceutical doctors should not be going on golf trips or or even given a free meal by pharmaceutical companies. It's it's naked corruption, and it used to be worse. A couple decades mm-hmm. ago, they could they could give them a golf trip to Scotland. Now that's fortunately illegal, but they can still buy them an expensive dinner or something like that. And I, I've never accepted a single one. When they when they the one time when I was in medical school, when the pharmaceutical company bought us a free meal, I intentionally did not have a single grape from the fruit bar because I I was so against uh, the idea that that we could be bribed. But it's funny in, in the doctor there was a survey done. Do doctors believe that they are influenced by pharmaceutical companies? Only 3% said yes, but they said, do you believe your colleagues are influenced by pharmaceutical companies? And they said 33% said yes. And so the, pharma- <laughs> the pharmaceutical industry does is, – is, is not they, – they have some pretty slimy practices, and that has – it makes them a lot of money. Um, so you can understand why uh-huh. they do it, but it does have a backlash to the public good, and so – that's right. where it's on right. our, our politicians to pass better laws, like doctors are not allowed to take golf trips to Scotland on the, on the pharmaceutical company's dime. You know what? If you take that away from them, we'd have less pill heads in this country hooked on these pills. And that's another point. Listen, the opiate thing the is another. That's creating a problem right there. Mm-hmm. That's a good the opioid point. industry. Yep, the opioid thing is another example of the pharmaceutical companies behaving very poorly. a lot of people of this problem right here. A lot of the people in this country are dying because of this situation we're talking about right here. These luxury vacations, yeah, and the, passing these pills out. This, that is my concern. I'm not going to say it. I can figure out what I feel like right now talking to you because. Yep. This has caused a huge pill epidemic in this country. What pills do is dumb people down, too. Uh, right. But well, I'm not going to talk uh, politics. We're going to talk uh, health issues here. Yeah, we're, we're, we're focusing on the health issues. But uh, in, in another aspect of um, Dr. Cohen, when I was a kid, they gave me one vac- vaccine shot. Today, they're giving you – some of these kids are getting multiple vaccines isn't that another of the problems that we're having today with, with uh, vaccination um, so I just want to respond to everything so for I hear the passion in, in your co-host voice and on the opioid front I agree a lot of people have failed Americans on the opioid front it's it's a uh, the pharmaceutical companies failed us the doctors failed us for for just handing out the pills too easily and getting these people addicted. There's evidence that the company hid evidence that they knew how addictive it was. Uh, and then they used those slimy practices to push it. And then of course the, the failing economy has not helped either. So um, opioid addiction often pops up in societies in decline. So it's a big concern. Now getting to the, the multiple vaccines issue. So having more vaccines is a good thing because you'd much rather have more vaccines than multiple diseases. Imagine if you had to get polio, which can cause paralysis, and diphtheria, which causes a slime over the back of your throat and can kill you, and tetanus, which causes lockjaw, and pertussis, which makes you cough your, you know, want to cough mm-hmm. yourself uh, into severe pain, and chickenpox, which is miserable, and smallpox, which can kill you, and these, I mean, li- li- all those vaccines are actually a wonderful invention. Now, everything comes with a cost, and so Preventing all these diseases means kids do have to get a couple more shots than they did 50 years ago. Right. But 
um, you know, the CDC has looked at this. You know, I got all those shots. Most kids today got all those shots, and almost all everyone that gets all those shots are fine. You know, they, yes, they get a little fever maybe afterwards in a minority of cases, but it's a heck of a lot better than getting measles or polio or any of those other diseases that I mentioned. And so I, I understand that that leads parents to have questions and parents deserve yeah. answers to those questions. But, um, you know, the answers, I'm, I'm going to vaccinate my kid against everything, including, by the way, the human papillomavirus vaccine, which came out recently, which prevents cancer. I mean, how many, we can prevent cervical and penile cancer with a, with a shot. That's a wonderful, wonderful innovation of medicine. And there's another cancer, which we'll probably get a vaccine against as well. And so we need to celebrate these technology and understand them. And, and when technology gets too complex for the average person, it does, it does sometimes backfire. And that's our job. That's your job um, as a media personality. Right. Now, now uh, you've mentioned all these vaccines, but one, one that stands out, because I constantly hear so much negativity about it, and there's, a, and there's been quite a few, well, more than quite a few lawsuits. It's the shingles virus. I mean, the shingles vac- vaccine uh, for seniors. What, 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 what can you talk about? Uh, uh, can you expand on that? Okay, so shingles is reactivated chickenpox. So we all got chickenpox as a kid. Now there's a vaccine right. against it, fortunately. But for those of us that were born too early for the chickenpox vaccine, we got chickenpox, we got all those bad blisters, and we survived, and it's fine. And so what happens with chickenpox and other, and other similar viruses in its family, so not all viruses do this, just viruses within chickenpox's family, it actually hides that in your body for the rest of your life. And potentially in periods of stress or when your immune system goes down a little bit because you get a little bit older, then it can reactivate. And when it reactivates, it causes shingles. Shingles is essentially a blistery um, rash that forms over a small part of the body. The worst thing is when it's on the face. That's really miserable. But more often Mm -hmm. it's on the trunk. Um, And it's really a, a miserable, painful thing and so a chicken a shingles vaccine is essentially a booster vaccine against chickenpox to stimulate your immune system so that you don't get this really unpleasant uh illness um and so it's a really good idea it's a great technology um i'm not i mean all vaccines have potential risk of adverse events like a fever or a rash or um but really really or, or an allergic reaction but you know, your doctor can, can either monitor for those things or check and make sure you're not going to have an allergy based on your previous aller- allergy um, <coughs> symptoms. And uh, the shingles vaccine is recommended by the CDC for everybody over 60 because the risk of shingles goes up as their childhood immunity against chickenpox has now worn off for about 55 years. So I want my parents to get the shingles vaccine as soon as they go over the age of 60, which they already are. I want my grandparents to get the shingles vaccine. Um, because it's that or have shingles or potentially have shingles, which, as mentioned, is really not very fun. Right. But why are we seeing an increase, increased number of uh, lawsuits because of the shingles vaccination? Well, to be honest with you, I'm not aware of those. Um, I, I would certainly be willing to look at them and see what they are. Um, I will say yeah. in our society, you know, it, there, there, is a, there is always a chance that the company actually did something wrong. On the other hand, our society is a very 
litigious society where people like to make lawsuits because even if you settle, you can get millions of dollars. And so right. um, I don't know. I mean, again, I'm on the side. My podcast is on the side of the evidence. Whatever the evidence says, um, you know, is, is where we're going to go. And if, if the company did malfeasance, then that's an issue. But I'm not aware of any malfeasance. And I, I intend to get the shingles vaccine when I turn 60 unless new evidence comes to light. Definitely. Uh, on, on a different topic, um, well, close to it, what's, is, is the relationship between the CDC and the pharmaceutical industry too close? Too, like, is, the bonding is too close to, uh, to become little suspicious of what the relationship is? Because it seems like everyone from the pharmaceutical industry tends to be Go, goes directly to or part, becomes part of the board or becomes director of the CDC. So isn't there a conflict of interest between the two, the pharmaceutical and the CDC? So let's, let's look up who the current CDC director is right now. Um, okay. You know, I mean, there's, there's always, you know, we, we know that there's always in our imperfect world, there's always a chance of corruption. And corruption right. is bad. Now, we live in a society that is way more corrupt than it should be, but also way less corrupt right. than a lot of other countries on Earth. And so, That's right. um, you know, I have pretty good confidence in our public health system. Our public health system, um, remember when Ebola landed in America in 2014 and not a single yeah. American died from Ebola? Like, that's actually incredible. If you, Ebola is like wiped out three whole countries in 2014 and our healthcare system sprang into action, isolated all the patients, all the ones, the three nurses that got Ebola um, were all, were all made it to intensive care and all survived. I mean, that was an incredible feat. Uh, the, the swine flu of Absolutely. 2009, again, we, 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 uh, we developed the vaccine very quickly. We got it out. A lot of people got the vaccine and there, and, and fortunately it was not as severe a disease as we feared it would be. But the point is, that was, that was, remember, everyone was scared of a global pandemic of deadly flu, right. and that just never happened, right? So I have pretty, you know, I, I'm a member, I'm biased, so I'm a member of the public health community. I know people in the public health community. We work really hard. We're in government, not, be, not for the supposed kickbacks, but for the, um, because we believe <laughs> in the mission. But, but right. you know, it, is, any, is anybody in our field corrupt? I think by probability, the laws of probability say the answer is yes. Now, although, again, I believe it's low. So the current CDC director is a guy named Robert Redfield, who uh, worked with the military for a long time. Um, I'm not seeing anything in his career in working in the pharmaceutical industry. Um, people can double check me on that. But I, it looks like he spent his whole career in government. He was at the NIH. He was at the FDA. Um, right. He saw HIV patients in Baltimore, Washington, and as mentioned, he worked in the military. So, and the guy before him was Tom Frieden. He was a lifelong public servant. So, you know, we nobody wants corrupt officials because corrupt officials make your profession look pretty bad. So, I, if there is anyone in there, I'm sure there have been. You know, I, I will I will jump on the bandwagon to um, to to um, criticize them along with anyone. But I I'm not. I mean, I, and I want there to be good oversight from Congress in terms of corruption uh, that right. there may or may not be. But I am not aware of a too close relationship between pharma, big pharma and the CDC. 
Fantastic. Now, Big Pharma and Congress, that's another question. Big Pharma has enormous <laughs> sway over Congress, and yeah. uh, which is probably why a lot of the problems that we're hearing about are legal. Right, right. That's, uh, now, um, you're a po- poverty reduction expert. Can you expand on that? Yeah, so um, one of the things I've worked on for the last few years is so-called international development. So we got these countries that are, that are very poor, and what we'd like for them to be is to have fewer poor people, fewer people that are suffering. And also that's true in America too, right? And so, you know, it's easy to say that. And, and, and a lot of people would put forward um, bad ideas. For example, I don't think socialism is a particularly good idea. Some people think the solution to America's suffering lower middle class is, is socialism, tax the rich and just distribute it all through the government. I think the evidence right. in history Again, back to the evidence, I think the evidence in history suggests that's really not going to work. It might sound good, but it doesn't work. So I'm a believer in an in a economist who works with the United Nations. He's very famous. His name is Jeff Sachs. Um, anybody can read his books, S-A-C-H-S, no relation to Goldman Sachs. He always likes to point that out. And he, um, he's, got a, he's got a program in which in or, you know, basically the theory is if you're born extremely poor, um, you spend every waking minute just trying to stay alive. So you have no ability to invest in anything that's going to make your, make your lot in life better, things like your health care or your education or maybe um, bu- uh, certainly building the roads around your area or maybe buying improved seeds or a tractor for your farm, right? If you're extremely poor, you're stuck in what's called the poverty trap. And then what happens is often those very poor communities have, have a lot of children and so that means every successive generation has fewer resources per capita than their parents did. And, that's what's, and so it gets stuck in this cycle where every generation is poorer than the last one. And again, that's called the poverty trap. And so the solution to this is you, you can't just invest in health care or in education. You have to invest in all of those things that help people get out of the poverty trap. And so I've been working for the last few years in these overseas countries, places like Madagascar, Congo, et cetera, to be part of the very large team to help, um, to help these communities break the cycle of poverty. And in, in the United States, I think that's true too. I've, I've worked in urban Baltimore and in urban New York City. And in those places, you know, those people, the, the p- people who are poor are suffering from a lot of challenges. And the only way for our country, which is going through a pretty significant issue right now, um, the only way for our country to recover is going to be we have to invest in comprehensive economic development. A wall is not going to be enough. Universal health care is not going to be enough. We have to invest in everything that allows human uh, humanity to flourish. Right, right. But um, very true. Very. But how? how in, you know, we have. You mentioned socialism. Um, in the UK, you have the. You know, you have a socialist um, medical system, which is run by the NIH. In in, in 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 a lot of the European countries, it's basically medically run gov, um, government run uh, medical um, health healthcare insurance, and here in the U.S., I still believe that our system is still the best in the world, but there's there are individuals that want to break and rip that apart and bring in what they have in the U.K., which is. And in, in also in Canada, which has not worked. I lived in Canada for for a period of time, and a lot of the Canadians would come to the U.S. 
And I would say, why? You're, you know, you get everything here f- for free. And, and they go, yes, if, if you have a cold, it's great. But if I, have, if I have to have surgery, I have to wait my turn. So that's, that's, that, that is the difference between a government-run medical system, healthcare system, and what we have here. Would you agree? So I, I want to say, um, so I, I, I partially agree. So I, I don't, I, I agree with you that um, a socialized healthcare system is not the best answer. Um, now there are, but I would also say that there are flaws in the American medical system. The American medical system is really expensive. It's, it's, it's uh, 16%. I think we spend $2.4 trillion a year of our economy on healthcare, and we're a very unhealthy country. We, we have very high rates of diabetes. Um, we don't do a lot of good prevention. And so th- there are flaws in our system too. And I, I, would, I guess my answer is um, it's fortunately it's, it's, we don't just have a choice between our flawed system and Europe's flawed system. I would, I would suggest that what we need to do is combine the best ideas of both into a better system because we should not be, we should not be sat, satisfied with being the cleanest dirty shirt is a phrase I like to, I've heard before and I like to use. So it, in the study of, of health care, you know, health care is not your normal marketplace. So normal markets are great for, for selling computers, right, because markets, markets are a wonderful invention. They've helped create unprecedented economic growth. But there are some circumstances in which markets will fail. For example, pollution. Pollution causes public costs, um, but nobody has an incentive to control it. So if the government doesn't come in and say, you're not allowed to pollute, everybody's going to pollute their local river and suddenly we'll all be drinking um, really dirty water. And so that, there's a role for government regulation um, in, in the case of pollution. Now, in the case of healthcare, if you have cancer, you're not really going to care how much a particular treatment costs. If, the, if this one treatment can save your life, you're going to pay, you're gonna pay you're, uh, like a billion dollars for it. And if you can't afford that, you're going to expect the government to pay for it. Similarly, if you right. have a stroke and you show up at the hospital and you can barely talk and you're gonna, your brain's going to you know, hemorrhage in like 20 minutes, you're not going to sit there and think, well, which treatment is less expensive? And I want to compare the two and you know, I'm going to go home and think about it, right? And so that's called a market failure. So in healthcare, there is, there is not, you know, having a purely free market in which profit is the, the driving motive is not necessarily going to lead to the best quality care. It will lead to a lot of rich doctors and rich insurance company executives and rich pharmaceutical companies and with lots of control over the government. Um, but that's not necessarily the best way to up to the best healthcare system that's good for the country. So I would say that what we need to do is, is let markets work best where they work, which is some parts of medicine, um, and then also um, use the government to to potentially fill the gap where there are market failures. Fantastic. Hey, Luther, do you have a question for Dr. Korn? Uh, no, I pretty yeah. much just wanted to bring up a couple of things tonight on all these issues, and um, I want to go back to the GMO, but I'm going to... Um, I know people that have been in jail that are older and they're coming out underweight. They're very, very sick. And then I was told 
that on some of the food that they're feeding them, um, it says not uh, for human consumption. You know, not to, not, not to feed the humans. It's on the box or so, or something like once a week. Have you ever heard anything about this? I'm going to need you to repeat that. I did not hear every word. Well, I, I know some older people that are in jail. I've talked to them, and they and they they said they come out underweight and sick and wasn't healthy, had multiple health problems, and they think it's the GMO in the food. And where the younger ones, they weren't because their immune systems were better. I mean, people this come out of jail and they're – if people come out of jail and they're underweight and they're sick, I mean, I don't know what they're being fed in jail. Um, I, I don't – again, I, I, am not, I do not believe that GMOs are a problem. GMOs sound scary because it's three letters, but it just means they're genetically modifying the crops – to give it a mm-hmm. gene to make it resistant to an antibi- to a to a disease or to make it yield a, a better crop. I think there are lots of problems in jail, uh, and the food yep. very well might be one of them. But I don't necessarily well, think GMOs are a part of that. Well, we got we got. I we have got, a friend that's got, a farmer, and I want to say one more thing. I have a friend yeah. that's a farmer, and I mm-hmm. said to him, "Do the deer eat that corn?" You know what he told me? No, they don't. I said the deer is smarter than the liberals. <laughs> well, listen, so, so, but I mean, again, I'm not defending the big companies, the big companies, their practices have put a lot of farmers out of business. Um, it's definitely true that if you modify corn, let's say yeah. to be really sweet, that doesn't necessarily mean it's particularly nutritious. And right. so um, we do have a very unhealthy society and, and corn and our yeah. incredible overconsumption of corn and soybeans, which is subsidized by the government, um, is not good for our society, as is the fact that we eat all this red meat uh, and all yep. these cows, which are also very, very bad for the environment, by the way. So I absolutely want to see a change in our policy. And I, I listen, if the deer if the deer doesn't want to eat something, then I don't want to eat it either. That's fair. <laughs> quick, quick, uh, <laughs> just, uh, name, name of your podcast, that's, Dr. Corn, that's your, the name truth, of your though, podcast. I told you. Name of your podcast, uh, Dr. Korn. So it's the Demo Crises podcast. That's for the three global demo crises of democracy, demography, and demoralization. Uh, we definitely are concerned that uh, there's a lot of trends in our society that really seem like they're getting worse, whether it's democracies that are not up to the challenges of the 21st century or uh, human global overpopulation that's leading to the destruction of the environment, the rainforest, to the extinction of a lot of beautiful animals, uh, or whether it's just corruption and other forms of uh, becoming demoralized as a society. And we, we try to use evidence. We try to sift through all the garbage to find the evidence uh, to solve these problems. And the one, I want to plug one episode. The whole season is out for anyone to listen to on, the, on any podcast app. But Teddy Roosevelt, um, he confronted an America suffering from many of the challenges that we're suffering with today rising inequality from massive technological change, vicious partisan hatred. And he was actually able to solve almost all these problems and launch the American Mm -hmm. century. And so we we really tell the story of exactly how. Well, Teddy Roosevelt is my cousin, by the way. On our website, (laughs) we are out of time. We're out of time. Dr. Korn, thank you for coming. Uh, great, great job! Show. Great job and you're doing, sir. Luther, yeah, fantastic. We love having you. Great job you're doing, sir. Great job. Thanks. Hey guys, I really appreciated it. Thanks. You're, you're have very a good welcome. Night. We keep good doing evening. your good work. Bye bye. God bless America, and we'll see each other. God next bless week. you too. 
on the broadcast of politics. Awesome. Good night.